Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Realcom Live. Uh, good to be here. Um, as I've been, uh, as I started late last year, uh, I try to name the episode in a word or two uh, to give an idea of um, where the topic sits: fun, interesting, innovative. Um, this week's topic: two words, extremely important. I give another two words: sometimes overwhelming. The topic this week is China Tech. And when you hear the word China tech, the average person really doesn't know what that means. Are they suggesting we're talking about Alibaba? Um, a lot of people don't even know who Alibaba is. Um, and so China tech in our world started in about 2004. Um, Realcom took a delegation of real estate professionals to Asia. We went uh, to about seven cities and five countries, Tokyo, Seoul, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Beijing, Kuala Lumpur, and Singapore. And on that trip, we went to city, you know, like I said, we went to uh, Beijing and Shanghai. And in 2004, imagine that, that's 19 years ago, the level of innovation, the level of passion, the level of, of the pace of progress was frightening. And we came back and we tried to talk to everybody and said, you know, there's so much going on over there. You got, you, you got to go see it. You got to go see it. So you fast forward um, to 2019 in Nashville, we had a, a private meeting on China Tech, and this time it was getting a little bit more refined saying, okay, what are the implications of, of, of the pace at which China's developing technology? How does it impact the built environment? And then we took a little bit of a hiatus to the pandemic, but, but this year we're bringing it back. And our guest today, um, Warren Wilson, who's the uh, director of the economy for the Special Competitive Studies Project, SCSP, and he's gonna explain a little bit to what that is. Um, uh, we first had Warren at Cortec in November to begin introducing this topic to the Realcom community. So why don't we bring on Warren and we'll get to the conversation. Hello, Warren, how are you? Hello, Jim. Thanks, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. Um, before we get started, why do, and, and you know, you're gonna give you know, the definitions of SCS, FC, uh, SCSP, why don't you give everybody a little bit of your background uh, just so they have some context on where you're coming from and what your area of expertise is. Sure, Jim. Um, as you mentioned, um, I'm Director of Economy here at the Special Competitive Studies Project, or SCSP, where I focus a lot on digital infrastructure and economic policy, uh, particularly with respect to national security. My background is I uh, was working with the State Department as a Foreign Service Officer, primarily on building economic relations with other countries. I've worked in, in Beijing and Ukraine and also here in Washington, where I'm sitting now. Awesome. So yeah, it's it's an interesting intersection when we talk about you know real estate technology and now we throw in China, okay? And and a lot of our listeners are probably saying, what does this have to do with me? I own a building and you know I'm putting in some smart building technologies, maybe some wireless the phones work. How does this impact me? And hopefully by the end of this show, uh, they're going to have a little bit better idea. And and as I mentioned at Cortec, our relationship is really just getting started. It's about six months now. We want you to be able to leverage our community to get information out through us on how this stuff might impact buildings, right? So let's uh, let's go to the first slide and and give everybody a little overview on what exactly is SCSP uh, and uh, the mission, the landscape, you know, everything that is SCSP. Sure, Jim. Uh, so SCSP is a Washington-based foundation focused on strengthening. U.S. technology policy and long-term competitiveness amid really rising technology-driven competition geopolitically with China and other adversary countries. Um, SCSP was founded by 
former Google CEO, Eric Schmidt, who you may be familiar with, what you may not know is that after he left Google in 2015, he spent several years at the Defense Innovation Board at the Defense Department and also at the National Security Commission on AI and was very troubled by what he saw there. Um, so uh, particularly America's, you know, uh, quickly falling behind China in key technology areas. So he was inspired by what we call the Special Studies Project, which was led by Nelson Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger in the 50s, that was focused on galvanizing a national strategy for competing with the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Um, at the time, SSP wrote a quote here at the bottom of the slide, a nation which does not shape events through its own sense of purpose eventually will be engulfed in events shaped by others. I think yeah. Dr. Schmidt saw um, the American technology landscape quickly becoming engulfed by other actors. So uh, he founded the SCSP because he was concerned that America would not organize strategically to address broader technology competition and the risks that, uh, that, that posed in the context of you know, China dominating technology. So uh, our work is focused on six key areas on foreign policy, defense, intelligence, economy, society and future technology platforms and and how all of these are being remade by technological change so so let's let's just focus on eric schmidt for one second mm -hmm. um brilliance on display at google okay and then he went to it was the dod innovation lab did you say it was called the defense innovation board yes which is a, a new board that he stood up uh he he, he you know helped found to uh address uh technology deficiencies in the U.S. you know, defense architecture and military. It sounds like some of the best foreign policy chess players that the U.S. has. I mean, some smart people. Absolutely. Okay, yes. so he goes and spends some time there and says, my gut was kind of right. These people, our collective conversations substantiated the fact that in key areas, 5G, AI, immersive, lots of different you know, technologies, that side by side, inch for inch, that the U.S. is falling behind in some of these key critical areas. Fair? Correct. And that in many of these cases, even where we're ahead, uh, China, you know, the, the People's Republic of China, not the society, but the government of China often has a strategy to dominate these technology platforms, and the United States does not. Yeah, I've read, you know, summaries of some of their, you know, 5, 10, 15 year plans. And it is very clear that they want to dominate in AI, in green technologies, autonomous vehicles, 5G, 6G, 7G, whatever. And to your point, uh, you know, capitalism and democracy are the best, you know, combination on the planet, but sometimes not as efficient. And when you've got a, a plan being direct, you know, designed and directed out of a central policy point, i.e. the CCB, it becomes very efficient uh, in getting that out. Now, the good news is, I think, is that we've got innovation and free-spirited, you know, entrepreneurs on our side. So it sounds like SCSP is is trying to bring together the best of all worlds to formulate that plan. Is is that what you're saying? Absolutely, we're trying to help bring together that strategic vision that uh, we we have seen as lacking in you know in U.S. authorities. We do have some of the best technology in the world, absolutely. But uh, we've, we've had slip ups such as uh, Chinese firms uh, moving ahead and leading the world and developing 5G technology, network hardware, and you know, holding the biggest share in uh, global 5G networks, which you know, it wasn't that long ago that the US possessed the best telecom technology in the world. In the world, yeah. 
And, and, and I've been trying to get my messaging straight for almost 20 years now because it's a sensitive topic. People don't like to hear that we're not number one, right? And so I always have to start my statements by don't shoot the messenger. I'm just bringing you information that you may not be aware of. And so through, the, you know, through 2023, Realcom and all of our events, IBCon, Cortec, we're going to try to weave this conversation in in a productive, positive way. Uh, and, and to make sure that anything we can do to keep, you know, the built environment technology, you know, globally competitive, uh, that that's what we're hoping our relationship can you know, possibly do. So tell me, um, Ian, next slide, if you could, what are some of the key areas of tech that you're focusing on? Sure. We've identified the three foundational technology platforms that we consider central to U.S. security, competitiveness, and just democracy as you know ai and, and the broader software the broader software landscape semiconductors and 5g or and just advanced networks more generally um so these are fundamental platforms not just for cyberspace but but really to all of society and while you know america has led the world in, in cutting edge tech for decades we we found ourselves increasingly dependent on china sometimes exclusively so um you know the prc has made tremendous strides in artificial intelligence and, and semiconductor production and and as i mentioned overtaken uh american firms in producing 5g equipment um and and people you know turning around you know what, what what's the response to this um people may ask is are we suggesting that the u.s government should try to out china china and, and develop a more top-down state-directed model for uh, developing these critical technologies. And I'd say the answer is absolutely not. We're calling for a strategy, you know, based on leveraging our US strengths, including our markets, our democracy, our openness. Uh, but we do need a clear vision to fill national security gaps in technology that the market isn't addressing. And, and simultaneously, uh, part of this, this process is creating a more coherent technology governance model in America that includes uh, data and AI governance. Well, yeah, and, and, and part of me looks at all the money that we've invested in technology over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and to be in this position of losing our dominance really makes you scratch your head and saying, maybe our process and our formula for innovation needs a little tweaking, right? Uh, and maybe it's not as efficient or more importantly, effective as it could be. And, and furthermore, um, this is also about, you know, China risk aside, this is also about our, our supply chains and the fact that so much of our communication supply chains are not just not American, but um, originate in one location in, in China that can be subject to zero COVID lockdowns, subject to other disruptions is in itself a risk. So of the three areas, the hardware, microelectronics, chips, AI and then 5G wireless. Did you did uh, SCSP have any fingers in the Chips Act and, and all the activity we're seeing now, bringing manuf chip manufacturing back to the U.S. Or was that already underway before your organization uh, was formed? I think I mean clearly there was there was a lot of momentum behind uh, the Chips Act for the reasons I was you know mentioning earlier. Concern about U.S. losing chips production. Concern about supply chains. Um, we, you know, 
we in our position, uh, we're, we're as a private foundation, we you know have, have published a number of reports, uh, you know, with policy recommendations. We're we're constantly talking to uh, government officials here in in relevant agencies and and in Congress to you know explain to them the research that we're doing and uh, recommendations for what you know what 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 policy direction uh, can be taken on. Um, you know, it, with respect to chips and, and all, all these battleground technologies. And, and, and from what I've learned of you, you know, between Eric Schmidt's mm -hmm. reputation within the tech business community and all of the, the subsequent people now at SCSP ties into Washington, it feels like you guys are going to kind of try to be the bridge between the business sector and, and, and the political sphere, correct? Absolutely. Uh, that's the and and that's part of why we're we're structured the way we are as a as a private foundation. Um, you know, many government officials who need the expertise of of businesses such as in your industry often you know are restricted in terms of how they interact with those businesses. I think many businesses are uh, not really sure where to to plug in when they're dealing with government or policymakers. And many of our you know. Many of us at the foundation have formerly worked in the government, and we do want to provide that bridge. Um, in some some of my readings, the the year twenty thirty keeps popping up as a critical year. We to basically saying we've got about seven years to bring awareness to the level it needs to be, and to start to turn the ship. Otherwise, we could find ourselves at a very serious disadvantage. Is that seven year twenty thirty assessment accurate? That's uh, that's our assessment that uh, this, this is a crucial period uh, in technology development. It's a crucial period for both America and China in terms of our, in terms of our internal dynamics. Um, it, it they're potentially you know we've seen China's demographic situation is already changing, and uh, and and the Chinese government sees technology as uh, a real solution for its uh, for for not just success domestically, but for increasingly for, for global dominance. And so what, this is, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, finish your thought. No, no that was it. What, what, what are the implications of China winning this? Sure. And I, and um, I, I, a lot of people ask this understandably because uh, it's, it's not always a simple answer, but I, I think the upshot is it's, this is not just a commercial competition. This is not a question of whether, you know, other competitor companies from, other countries are, are winning contracts versus U.S. companies in, in terms of chips or AI. Um, where China has exported its technology, which is increasingly doing around the world, it's also sought to export its technology policy and governance norms, whether related to censorship, surveillance, and network fragmentation. Um, and the PRC government is actively advocating for a more fragmented oppressive internet globally, um, you know, as opposed to the open internet that we've all benefited from for the last four years. Um, and, and I'd say ultimately, you know, PRC dominance of these technologies of the communications highways um, that, that can result in massive security surveillance vulnerabilities as we move into the internet of everything in the next few years, it means lost economic opportunities uh, for Americans and, and many others. It uh, means potential military weakness, and it means just a fundamental reshaping of the open internet and open societies. Right. Um, I, now, this is, you know, this is a pessimistic 
vision. It's, it's a, it's a visioning exercise we did uh, to, at the start of our research, but I, I certainly we're far from this type of outcome and with the right moves by us policymakers, us businesses and our allies, we can, we can certainly head off this possibility, but it's, it's not a given and we have to act in order to do so. I'm going to say this once before we take the break. And then once at the end, for anybody listening, please go up to scsp.ai. The reports are stunning. They are extremely well written. One is 180 pages or so. It's it's a it's not a, a brief read. I think I'm two thirds through it, and all the subsequent interim reports. So um, let's take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, and then when we come back. Uh, we're going to continue this great conversation. Every building has a story to tell. What is your building saying, and who's listening? A building can be seen as a living thing. It consumes, breathes, circulates, senses, and produces waste. Buildings are comprised of different and complex subsystems like elevators, security, fire safety, and HVAC that generate a ton of data. What are you doing with your data? What if you could visualize all of your data on an integrated mobile platform? What if today's data could prescribe and predict actions for tomorrow? What if you had situational awareness that could monetize these optimizations in real time? Your building has always had a heart in the engine room, but what if it had a brain? Introducing Nantum, the world's first operating system for the built environment. The new brain for your building. All right, so see, we do have uh, some technologies coming to, to keep us competitive in the space. Uh, I, I was with the, the uh, guy who had the vision for Nantum when the, when the spark hit him and uh, it's good to see that that company, Prescriptive Data and Nantum, are doing so well. So give me, um, let's bring out the next slide and let's talk about some of the specific companies that are on your radar. Sure, thanks, Jim. Um, and so these these companies uh, that we've highlighted here, these are companies that the, the FCC or other U.S. government authorities and, and other, frankly, other governments abroad have identified as problematic um, for often, you know, functioning in, in suspicious, opaque uh, non-commercial ways, frankly, um, you know, I think people are familiar with Huawei and ZTE and, and, and the risks that uh, our government has identified with, uh, with those firms, um, with, you know, companies like Hikvision that providing surveillance equipment that uh, not only have problematic ties to the Chinese military, but are implicated in really serious human rights abuses in China. Um, but I, I've put these up here less about, these are just examples of, of companies, but to, to underscore kind of two general points about relying too much on uh, these large PS, PRC firms for communications equipment, particularly like what, what um, might be used in um, intelligent buildings. And these two just overarching facts are, I mean, these companies, in many cases, they're not operating like commercial entities in the way uh, competitors from, from other countries might. Um, they're operating with extremely opaque corporate governance, often potentially under political influence um, and, you know, making suspicious moves, whether it's Huawei taking on unprofitable contracts in rural America near military installations or, or other examples. Um, and, and the second concern, the second you know piece I want to highlight with this is that Washington and policymakers in Washington are taking notice and acting. Um, it doesn't seem like you know uh, the, the two parties agree on much of anything these days, but there is broad bipartisan concern right now about the risks um, 
China origin technology opposed to U.S. networks and U.S. society. Well, um, in, at a practical level, one of my contacts who uh, sells a major component for the tech intelligent building uh, enterprise uh, and his territory is South America. And he said, basically, the, the process is simple. Every time they get his proposal, they hand it to the Chinese, they cut it in half. Um, and they basically say better technology for half the price, right? And, and that, that half is being subsidized by the CCP for other reasons, just, you know, business gains, right? Um, and, then, and then this gets into the, the conversation of, yeah, it's not just these specific companies, but the components in other systems that we would install into a smart building. I mean, you really have, would have to rip that whole piece of, uh, that whole box apart to see all the components to see if there's some potential, you know, technology in there that runs a risk. Absolutely. And I think that's uh, something where, you know, a, an area of research we'll be uh, publishing on pretty, pretty soon here. But um, I, I just, I wanted to highlight the example that on the slide of, of the rip and the quote unquote rip and replace policy under which uh, FCC was mandating um, that, you know, telecoms that have used Huawei and ZTE network equipment, uh, not only cannot buy, but have to actually ripped out and re replace that that network gear. Um, and and just you know, for your listeners, imagine this. You know, today it's tele, and it's it's five G telecom networks. Tomorrow, potentially, it's IoT. Imagine if in the future, the U.S. government would identify a similar risk in PRC made IoT sensors and force commercial real estate developers to you know replace them with with trusted components. I mean, that would. Not that there's any indication that's happening anytime soon, but just imagine what kind of a nightmare that would be. Well, it is, it is actually happening. And, and in this case, I don't believe it was China. It was another major nation state. But uh, one of our community found uh, some malware in a piece of industrial equipment in the building, sleeping mm -hmm. inside the, you know, inside the multiple layers of software of that piece of equipment with no particular go date that could have been activated remotely at any point in time. And it could have caused physical possibly damage as well as reputational harm. So we've already seen some instances, uh, not at, at big scale, but, um, you know, it, it, at some point the, the danger is real, you know, and um, it needs to be taken serious. So wrapping up, um, do you see implications for our environment, the built environment uh, with, with everything that we've talked about? Yes, absolutely. Um, so firstly, just the issues of greater, you know, the need for greater supply chain assurance for um, for 5G networks as, you know, they, they're moving into the enterprise level and private networks that I'm, I know many of your, you know, uh, companies you your work with are, are interested in. So uh, supply chain assurance for enterprise 5G and IoT networks, um, you know, given both risks of, of, you know, PRC technology and also policy actions from Washington. I think that's one uh, one big takeaway. Another big takeaway is that, you know, enterprise 5G network technology, it, it's it, it's obviously a massive, you know, potentially massive commercial opportunity, but it's now being seen as it's a, a strategic opportunity. Um, you know, the Department of Defense, for example, is investing over 600 million in enterprise 5G networks on military installations. So I'd say this, you know, extra emphasis on enterprise 5g as a strategic imperative it's not only you know it's, it's a potential great opportunity but it also means there may be more scrutiny particularly around network security of those types of networks 
Well, as I've mentioned to you in the past, our community, RealCom, IBCon, Cortec, and all the other you know events we do. My, my partner Howard's just coming back from London. He just did an event in London um, this past week. We focus on those individuals within real estate companies that focus on technology. So mm -hmm. what we can bring to you is a community of 50 billion square feet of decision makers focusing on technology. And, and we can be a way of distributing your very, you know, finely thought out um, information and insight so you don't have to scatter about and try to figure out our industry. So I'm hoping you come back. Um, we've, I want to go into that 5G conversation in a lot more detail because the in-building wireless conversation is lighting up again. Mm -hmm. And uh, as long as we're aware of things we need to look out, I think we can achieve success and mitigate a lot of the risks. Excellent, Jim. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and uh, connect with uh, companies you're working with. And um, we would, I think we and would, would love to hear from uh, these companies about what the industry needs. There's a lot of policy activity and money being distributed now in Washington around uh, network technology. And uh, we need all the input from companies on the front line, like uh, those are the real companies. We're, we're going to organize that intellectual property and, and bring it to you so you don't have, like I said, have to go get it. Um, there's a, a definite interest, a need, and uh, especially from a financial, you know, the resources that are now being made available. I would hate that those monies and funds to go to less deserving people, maybe who are a little newer to the game. I mean, the groups that we hang with, a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, um, and are certainly in a good position to help you, you know, win some of these battles. So. Thank you again for everything you do and uh, looking forward to continuing the relationship. Excellent. Thank you, Jim. Take care. Okay. Have a great day. Be well. All right. With that, let's bring on Nance for the news. Howard, as I mentioned, is traveling back from London. Um, and uh, Nancy, I, I, I don't know how you follow that one, Nance. That was, that was a pretty heady conversation. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's serious. There's no other word to say that uh, we have to listen. We have to be pragmatic and, um, I'm just grateful to have resources like Warren and SCSP. So. Absolutely. I'll hand it to you and take us through the news. All right. Will do. Well, good morning. Here's a recap of a few of the articles in our weekly news briefing, which is published every Thursday morning. Our headline story this week is becoming all too common news as yet another tech giant, this time Microsoft, announced a major layoff. They're letting go of 10,000 employees as they brace for slower revenue growth. Along with the headcount reduction, they're also taking a $1.2 billion charge in the second quarter related to severance costs, changes to their hardware portfolio, and the cost of lease consolidations as they create higher density across their workspaces. For those who like stats, according to TrueUp Tech's real-time layoff tracker, so far in 2023, tech companies have laid off, laid off 57,914 people. In 2022, that number was 237,874. If you're not quick at math, that's a whopping 295,788 tech people impacted in just the last 13 months. Big number. This week also marked the first major prop tech deal of the year as property services startup Lesson, a tech-enabled end-to-end solution for outsourced real estate property services, agreed to purchase competitor SMS Assist a facilities maintenance company. The deal went for $950 million. The two companies who serve, will serve 250,000 residential and commercial properties nationally and facilitate 
approximately 2.5 million repair and maintenance orders each year. Lesson was valued at, a one, at $1 billion in 2021. The transaction consists of both cash and stock with Lesson raising approximately 500 million in combined new debt and equity. In addition to SMS asset, uh, assist stockholders exchanging a portion of their stock for Lesson stock. This resulted in an increased combined company valuation of over $2 billion in enterprise value. While prop tech consolidation isn't uncommon, a venture-backed technology startup purchasing an incumbent player is not something you see every day. Next up, let's meet the guy whose algorithm could solve the crisis of America's empty office space. His name is Stephen Painter, a principal at the international architecture firm Gensler. In early 2020, Payton saw a glut of empty office spaces brought about by the pandemic as a sustainability opportunity, converting unused commercial buildings to apartments. Typically, the process of determining whether an office building is a good fit for a residential conversion is long and convoluted, and usually only three out of 10 are good fits. Sometimes he and his colleagues would start working out detailed plans for a client before realizing weeks or months later that their buildings weren't feasible. So Painter created an algorithm that quickly checks viability. Instead of taking months, his algorithm collapses the survey process required to determine a building's viability to mere hours. His work could help enable conversions to happen on a mass scale, which is important given the urgency created by America's rising office vacancy rates. It could also breathe new life into downtowns across North America as people could return to cities as renters or homeowners instead of just commuters. And lastly, today we're remembering Rudy Reagan, who passed away this week. Rudy's IT career spanned many decades, with the last 27 years spent with Deutsche Bank's Corporate Services Division. He was a longtime and well-respected member of the Realcom community, who served on our advisory council many times over the years, and he was recognized by most as a true pioneer for the industry. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family, friends, and colleagues during this difficult time. He will be missed. Yeah, Nance, I'm really glad you included that. Rudy uh, just kind of embodies the Realcom community. You know, sometimes competitors in the same room sharing information, insight to help each other. He was at the top of the heap when it comes to that. Um, I would call him a friend. Uh, I've been getting the emails and watching the posts this week. It's terrible. Um, uh, and I think it was somewhat sudden, which makes it all the harder. So, um, again, thoughts and prayers out for Rudy Reagan, a true hero in our industry. You'll be missed. Um, and then in respect to your other news stories, um, the thing that strikes me about this week's news is these are big stories. These aren't just, um, you know, a company announcing a new product or something like that. I mean, the tech layoffs, you know, um, the, the paradigm shift of converting offices into apartment buildings. And then this venture deal that's worth $2 billion. I mean, this is industry shifting stuff. And um, while people may not feel the impacts at this moment, 12, 18, 24 months from now, you, I think you are. You're going to feel it. Yeah. So, great job. Thank well, you thank much. Thank you. Thanks and for having uh, me fill in for Howard. You did a Hopefully great job. he's back next week. <laughs> yeah. Have a great Take weekend. Care. All right. So before we uh, uh, talk about next week's show, let's hear from our final sponsor. And I'll be right back. In commercial real estate, success starts with the building. The best-run properties deliver the best tenant experiences, boosting your NOI. Enter PRISM by Building Engines, uniquely designed to help you increase NOI from a single building to thousands of commercial properties. 
including core features for best-in-class operations, innovative tools to boost the tenant experience, and unique solutions you won't see from any other ops provider. The platform's open API infrastructure connects seamlessly with your in-house systems. See why the world's most successful companies have chosen Building Engines. Visit buildingengines.com to schedule a free demo and see the power of Prism today. All right. Thanks to everybody uh, on the show today, specifically Warren and, and the whole team over at SCSP, um, our sponsors, and of course, our great team that helps put the show together. Next week's topic, uh, my, my uh, words, top of list. Next generation, hybrid, immersive, uh, experiential workplace. What is it going to take to get people back into the office in a meaningful way? Not just forcing them to come back to the old cube farms, but really taking a perfect blend of technology and space to come up with something they just can't get at home. Our journey on this started um, actually in the pandemic. We elected to hold the event in 2020, uh, you know, built a little studio in a uh, hotel ballroom in Denver, then went to LA and did it, and, and then on to Austin and New York, and experimenting all along the way. And, and, and during that journey, we met some really good, smart people. And our guest next week, uh, Arun Kiker, who's co-head of Zaha Hadid, one of the most extraordinary architects in the world. Just go look up some of their projects in the Middle East and Europe and Asia, Singapore, phenomenal. Um, Arjun, Arjun is going to start the conversation. We are assembling uh, or a world-class team of people from both the built environment and the technology environment to begin really getting to the bottom of what does this hybrid experience, uh, experiential office look like? Like I said, perfect combination of space and perfect combination of technology and innovation. So we're excited to have him on next week and uh, you won't want to miss it. And for now, I'll say goodbye. Have a great day, great weekend. Be well. See you next week. Bye-bye.